Hello, Africa. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here um, for my second time uh, here in the, in, the, in the continent of Africa, and it's always very humbling and an honor to be in the land where my ancestors came from. Um, I'm humbled by that. I praise God for this opportunity. Um, as we say back home, I'm in, I'm in the motherland. Amen. And so I'm honored to be here. It's good to see your beautiful faces. Um, God is good, ain't he? He's good all the time. Amen. So like, like uh, Pastor Jimmy said, my task is to uh, give the biblical uh, defense for male eldership in the local church. Amen. And this, in a lot of areas, is a controversial topic. I know it is in the States. I don't know if it's like that here, but um, we're going to let the Bible speak today. Amen. And not our opinions or our culture, but we're going to let the Bible speak for itself. Amen. And before I get started, I have a confession to make. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. I have a confession to make. And it's, I hate being first. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to get that out the way. <laughs> um, we're going to start in first in the book of Titus, chapter 1, is where we're going to be beginning. And we're going to read the scriptures here and see what it says. I'm going to be going through some, a few scriptures briefly, quickly. Um, but we're going to start in Titus, chapter 1. And the, and the scripture is on the screen as well. Um, and let me just pray real quick before we get started. Father, I thank you and we bless you for just being who you are. You are God and beside you there is no other. Thank you for this privilege and opportunity to hear your word. Lord, give us uh, listening ears, uh, receptive hearts, Lord God, uh, as your word speaks to us, Lord God. Let us repent where needed, be encouraged where needed, Lord God. And we thank you and praise you for what you're going to do. We'll give you glory, honor, and praise, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Titus chapter 1, starting at verse 5, and it says, The reason I left you in Crete, this is Paul talking, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you to appoint elders, that word is key throughout this whole message. That word elders, you're going to see that a lot. To appoint elders in every town. And then he gives a description of who the elders are. One who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. For an overseer or an elder, as God's administrator, must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict. But like I said, what we want to focus on here is says, to appoint elders in every town. Elders, pastors, same thing. We'll see that later. Um, in every town, Paul says, the church is to be led by a plurality of qualified elders. A plurality, not just one, but a plurality of qualified men, elders, uh, pastors, bishops, okay? And there's a couple of scriptures we're going to look to real quick just to see that, see this in the Bible as the church was, uh, was started. In the book of Acts chapter 14, it says, when they had appointed elders, there it is again, when they had appointed elders in every church, they planted this church, and then it says, they appointed elders, not an elder, they appointed elders, plural, in every church and prayed with fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. There were elders in Ephesus. And then finally, Philippians chapter 1, 
Paul and Timothy, he starts out his letter in, in the book of Philippians, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers or elders and deacons. So we see that it's always plural when it talks about elders. The, the book of James says, if any of you are sick, let them call for who? The elders of the church. Always plural. There's one verse that talks about a single elder when it says, um, uh, don't make an accusation against an elder. But that's talking about an individual elder. But as far as the running of the, the function of the local church, it's always elders. It's always plural. There is no assistant pastors, quote unquote, if you will. You get my point? No assistant pastors. Um, there's not one example of a single elder in the Bible running a church. It's always plural. There's always more than one. We're going to look and see why that is. And it consists of a biblically qualified council of men that jointly pastor and lead a local church. A biblically qualified, that's key, biblically qualified council of men that jointly pastor and lead a local church. It's shared leadership, okay? Uh, no, no one man runs the show, okay? There's no one man show. It's shared leadership throughout. Pastoring is a team sport, amen? It's a team sport. You don't play by yourself. <laughs> it's a team sport. Amen? All right. They should be acknowledged, loved, and honored by the congregation. The people, the pastors who are leading the church, the elders, ought to be loved, acknowledged, and honored by the congregation. They should be able to be respected. The congregation should be able to look at them and say, I respect that man. I honor that man. He's, he, I, I can see him in that position, and I will follow his lead. That's what they should be able to say. And this model benefits the whole congregation. It's not just for the benefit of the elders. It's for the benefit of the whole congregation. It helps the whole church out when you have a plurality of elders and not just a single man. Amen? Okay. Each elder shares equally the position, the authority, and the responsibility of the office. Each elder, however many there are, and each church is different, depending on the size of your church, determines uh, how many elders you may have. But each one shares equally the position, the authority, and the responsibility of the office of, of an elder or a pastor. Okay? All right. Now, like I said, it can be referred to as shared leadership, plurality of elders, corporate leadership. Um, but it, the, the point is, it's not a one-man show is the point. It's the plurality of leaders, of, of elders, of male leadership. Now, what are the benefits of this council of elders? Why is that a good thing? What is the benefit of that? Number one, it balances the weaknesses. We know we all got weaknesses, right? So every man has a weakness. And so if you have one man and he, he's up there with all his weaknesses, that's not a good thing. It balances the weaknesses of, of the elder. The, the, the elders ought to complement each other. Amen. They ought to complement each other. So um, at, our, at our local church, Eternal City, there are four of us. Okay? And we are all different. All right? Um, the area I may be weak in, Chris may be strong in. The area where Chris is weak in, Pete may be strong in. The area where Pete may be weak in, Justin is strong in. And so we see we balance each other out. And so if I'm weak in one area, Chris got my back. He picks up the slack. Amen? Well, Pete is weak in one area. Justin got his back. He picks up the slack. 
So if the benefit is you balance out each other's weaknesses, because nobody got it all. <laughs> nobody is that dude <laughs> other than Jesus. <laughs> Amen? Because we all got some weaknesses that, that will not function well by ourselves. Secondly, it lightens the workload. It lightens the workload. No, it, all of this, you know, eldership pastoring is a, is, a, is a job, you know, and none of the heavy loads should be on one man. It lightens the load. And there's a principle of this in the book of, uh, of Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to skip that one. I'll come back to that. Exodus chapter 18. And this is, let's read this. The next day Moses sat down to judge the people. And they stood around Moses from morning until evening. So Moses is judging the people, the children of Israel, as they come to him. And they stood around Moses from morning until evening. That's all day, y'all. They stood around Moses. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, what is this thing you're doing for the people? Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said, Moses, what are you doing? Why are you alone sitting as judge? While all the people stand around you from morning until evening. Moses, why are you letting all the people just come to you by yourself? Why is this happening? Verse 15, Moses replied to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. So he said, Moses said, everybody comes to me with all their problems. And, I and they, from morning until evening, they bring it all to me. And this is what Jethro says. What you are doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. Moses, that's not good. You will certainly wear both yourself and these wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. Did you hear that? He said, Moses, these folk can wear you out. And how many of us know that church folk can wear you out? <laughs> Whether it's intentional or not. He said, Moses, they will certainly wear both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. Moses, this is too much for you. You can't do this by yourself. It's a principle here. Verse 19, now listen to me. I will give you some advice and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way and live what they must do. Okay? But you should select from all the people able men. Listen, he said able men. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating bribes. He gave him a description of, how, of the people he ought to select to help him do this. He said, first of all, God-fearing men, men who have a respect and a reverence for God, trustworthy, they can be trusted, and hating bribes, they can't be bought. He said, place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. He gave them a strategy. Here, work, break this thing down, Moses. You set them over groups of people. He said, they should judge the people at all times, the 70. Then they can bring you every important case, but judge every minor case themselves. All the hard stuff, okay, they can bring that to you. But all that other stuff, they can judge that among the, the elders that, that you set over them. You let them do that. You don't deal with it all, Moses. Take some of this load off of you, Moses. In this way, you will lighten your load. And you listen, how many of us need our load lightened sometimes? Amen. <laughs> Y'all ought to be raising your hand. 
<laughs> in this way, you will lighten your load, and they will bear it with you. In other words, you ain't going to do this all by yourself. They bear the load with you, Moses. The elders share the load, the responsibility. It ain't all on one man. And they will bear it with you. If you do this, and God so directs you, you will be able to endure. Listen to that. You're going to be able to go on, Moses. They ain't going to wear you out now. You will be able to endure, and also all these people will be able to go home satisfied. The people will be like this. It'll be pleasing to them. And they ain't got to stand up waiting on you all day. <laughs> but that's a principle. Shared leadership. That's an Old Testament example. See, this is not just a New Testament thing. We're going to see that. It's all throughout Scripture, the shared leadership. So, number one, it balances the weaknesses, it lightens the workload, and it produces accountability. So, there's an accountability that the elders ought to have amongst themselves. What do I mean by that? We ought to know each other and be able to share with each other our most vulnerable and weakest times and, and, and our temptations. The four of us uh, have an accountability that we, we, we rotate every, every, every couple of months or so where we call each other and ask each other hard questions. How are you dealing with this? I know you were wrestling with this last time. How's that coming? How are you dealing with your temptation in this area, whatever area that is? How are things going with you and your wife? How are things going with you and your children? What was the last time you spent time with your son? Those kind of questions. How's, how's your money management? Is it, is it with integrity? Accountability. So I'm check, we check each other. You good, bro? You good? You, what you need me to pray about? What, 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 what can take you down this week or this month or this year? <laughs> Where are you at? Accountability. So and we are not hide from each other. It produces accountability, and that's good for not only us, but also for you, for the congregation. And when the congregation knows that, that the elders are checking each other, that gives them a sense of security. See, it lets them say, okay, he's not a one-man show. He doesn't think he got it all together. They're ministering amongst each other. They don't just minister to us. They minister to each other. That gives the congregation security. And trusting their elders more. See, we don't want to come across as, I never sin. We don't want to come across as, I got it all together. That's why I'm up here. No, no, no. We are accountable to each other. And we can check each other. Brother, you're wrong about that. We ought to be able to do that. You're wrong. I love you, but you're wrong about that. And you need to get that together. Amen. The question is, can you do that with your elders? You ought to be able to do that with each other because we love each other. We're in this thing together. Accountable to each other. And lastly, it accesses different giftings. We all have different giftings. Nobody got all the gifts. We all got different gifts. Chris has a different gifting than I do. He's good at administration. I'm, I don't want to even want to look at that stuff. <laughs> he's better at that. That's his gift. Justin is our tech guy. He's a, he works for, he's, a, he's, a tech, he's, he's brilliant at that kind of stuff. Pete is our finance, our finance guy, our theologian. See, I'm the comedian. I just make everybody laugh. That's the gifting, by the way. You, know. <laughs> you need that in eldership. 
but, but we all have different giftings. That's right. And that's good. You need that. Nobody got it all. Yeah. What Chris can do, I can't do. What Pete can do, Justin can't do. And, and it's a gift, and it accesses everybody's gifts. That's good for the congregation. And that's good for you. I don't need to do what Chris does. I don't want to do what he does. God didn't gift me like that. I don't have, and don't try to, listen, don't try to walk in the gift that you don't have. Don't try to walk in the gift that you do not have. If you're not gifted in that area, okay, that's not my area. There's nothing, there's no shame in that. You know, we we just got done listening to the worship team. If you can't sing, don't get on the worship team. (laughs) That's just an example. (laughs) If you can't sing, you don't belong up here. Even if you like to sing. But that's not your gifting. And that's okay. And that's okay. So it accesses the different giftings when you have a plurality. Everybody's not the same. We are all different. And God gives us our each gift. The Bible even talks about that. So that's another benefit of, of the plurality of elders. Okay, now, now we see a plurality of leadership. Now, amongst that leadership, you'll have what we call the first among equals. Somebody who stands out among the rest. Um, somebody who's gifted leader who stands out. He's like a leader among leaders. Okay, in our core group, that's Chris. He's the leader at Eternal City Church. Okay, all right. Now, now, we see examples of that even in the Bible. With the 12 disciples, who do we see named the most with Jesus? Peter, James, and John. They're always together. They're always with Jesus. When Jesus went on the Mount of Figuration, who was with him? Peter, James, and John. And every one of them got a book in the Bible, along with Matthew. Out of the 12 disciples, four of them wrote books in the Bible. Peter, James, John, and Matthew. Okay? They were leaders among the other 12. Not better, not more valuable, but they had a gifting. And even among the three, even among the three, Peter, James, and John, who stands out? Peter. Peter. You always see, when the disciples are named in the Bible, Peter is always mentioned first. It says Peter and then the other 11. Peter's always mentioned first. Because Peter had a mouth on him. Y'all know that, right? You see scripture, Peter, always one who spoke up first. And usually, it wasn't good (laughs) when he did. (laughs) But, but his gifting, he was a leader. And Jesus had to, had to, um, you know, work with Peter in his leadership giftings. You know, because Peter, his mouth got him in trouble all the time. All the time. But he was a leader even amongst the three, even amongst Peter, James, and John. Peter stands out, you know. And, 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 and even when, even when, when uh, Jesus said to him, you know, Satan decided to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Peter. And when you, re- when you return, strengthen your brothers. He knew Peter had the ability to do that. But right now, you ain't ready, Pete. You ain't ready. But when you return, strengthen your brothers. He got two books in the Bible, First and Second Peter. And he did that. But Peter stood out. He always spoke, usually when he wasn't, you know, it's good for us to be here, Lord. You will be, we'll build three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. No, Peter, that's not what this is about. <laughs> always spoke out of turn, you know. And Jesus even had to rebuke him. Satan, the Lord, get behind me, Satan. He said that to Peter. Get behind me, Satan, called Peter the devil. <laughs> the leader, one of his leaders. But he stood out. He was, he was an example. So we see, even amongst uh, the eldership, there'll be one who might stand out amongst the others. 
not better, just a different gifting, a different function. We see it with Peter, James, and John, and then with Peter. We see it with the deacons in Acts chapter 6. They chose seven, full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, those who stood out among the others. Also, in Acts chapter 13, we see Paul and Barnabas here. In the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Luscious, the Cyrenian, Manian, a close friend of the Herod Tetriarch, and Saul. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, God spoke, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So even amongst this leadership here, God said, okay, give me uh, Paul and Barnabas. I want to send them out. There were leaders among leaders. Uh, Acts chapter 14. In Lystra, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth, who had never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. Okay. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he jumped and started to walk around. He got healed. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the, in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. They thought they were gods because of what Paul had done. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. Why? Because he was the main speaker. You see that? Paul and Barnabas, but Paul was the main speaker. Was he better than Barnabas? No. Was he more valuable than Barnabas? No. He was just the main speaker. And they saw that. So they called him Hermes because he was the main speaker, even though Barnabas was there. They noticed a, a difference with Paul. He spoke the most. And the lead, lead elder will speak the most. He may do the most teachings, and that's fine. He will speak on behalf of the church. If the, if, if the news wants to interview somebody regarding the church, they'll speak to the lead pastor. Not because he's a better speaker necessarily. And listen, he has a different gifting. It doesn't mean he's the best teacher of the, among the elders either. It doesn't mean that. It just means he has a different function. He has a different gifting. One of the other elders may be a better teacher, but that's beside the point. The point is, he has a different function and a different gifting. And it's important to understand that distinction. Because, um, yeah, it's important to understand that distinction. Okay, all right. And that allows for functional gift-based unity within the eldership without creating a superior office. It allows for functional gift-based diversity within the eldership without creating a superior office. There is no superior office among the eldership. There is the eldership, the four pastors, the five pastors, six pastors, whatever it is. Okay, now, uh, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is the qualification for an elder. I want to point something out as we go here. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, a pastor, an elder, he desires a noble work. Okay? An overseer, a pastor, an elder, therefore must be above reproach, okay? The husband of one wife. I want you to notice the pronouns in this verse. Husband of one wife. A woman can't be a husband. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, and able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own household. His, not hers. Who manages his own household competently, having his 
children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his, I'm doing that on purpose, <laughs> his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a convert, or he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Of the devil. Therefore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into the grace and the devil's trap. Notice the pronouns. Always he, him, his. That means male. That's intentional. That's not an oversight. That's not an accident. God knew what he was doing when he wrote that. That's intentional. And let me say this real quick. Let me say this real quick. This, God does things a lot of times, if not most times, according to a pattern and based on a principle. So we're going to see a pattern throughout scripture of the leadership, the type of leadership God has created. A pattern. And it has nothing to do with the value of women. Women and men are equally valuable and treasured. It has nothing to do with intelligence, nothing to do with uh, God's love, nothing to do with any of that. It, it's all based on the creation order of God. That is all. And it's important, sisters, that you see that and understand that. Don't think that this is God favoring men. It's not. God's a God of order, and he has a creation pattern that he has put in place from the beginning. We're going to see it in a minute. Okay, all right. Uh, the male choice is based on a divine principle and guidance. Genesis chapter 2. I'm not going to read all of this. I just want to go to verse... Um, Let's go to verse 27. Now, this is uh, Adam naming all the animals. That's what this is about. Adam naming all the animals, and he can't find one suitable for himself. And then he says, uh, verse, I believe, verse 24, this, this is the way a man leaves his father and mother. No, that's not what I want. Um, 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed that flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. The, woman was, the man was created first, the woman was taken out of the man. That's an order, okay, that God, that God put in place. Don't miss that. You know, the, the, the man was created first, and then the woman. 1 Timothy chapter 2. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. Don't be offended by that. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. And then he tells you why. For Adam was created first, then Eve. See, he goes right back to the creation order. He didn't say anything about culture. He went right back to the creation order that we just read. For Adam was created first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, and holiness with good judgment. That's a whole message in itself, <laughs> which I don't have time to get into. But I just wanted to point out the creation order that Paul went right back to when he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. It has nothing to do with a woman's ability to teach. We see all throughout scripture, women in leadership roles, teaching, being used by God. It was the women who were the first to report the resurrection of Jesus. 
That's our most important message, the resurrection of Jesus. And who did God use to first report that? The women. Why? Because the men had ran off. <laughs> I'm going fishing. This is over. He dead. But the women said, no, no, no. He's alive! The women. But does that change God's creation order or function? No. God used the women to convict the men. Listen, brothers, y'all got this wrong. He's alive. He's risen. Doesn't change anything. Doesn't change anything. Um, the role distinctions are based on the creation order. That's all that's about. Okay, now let's look at some Old Testament examples of this. Um, Leviticus chapter 8. The Lord spoke to Moses. Take Aaron, his sons with him, not his sons and daughters, his sons with him, the garments, the anointing oil, the bull of the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and, this, and assemble the whole community at the, entrance, at the entrance to the tent of meeting. This is the establishment of the priesthood. Okay? Uh, keep going. On the eighth day, Moses summoned, this is Leviticus chapter, chapter uh, 9, but it was Aaron's sons who were called. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 1. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron, his sons, and the elders, plural again, of Israel. Verse 22, Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. He came down after sacrificing the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering. Moses and Aaron then entered the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell down and worshiped on the ground. Uh, keep going. Okay, now, that was the establishment of the priesthood. It was all men. The priests are the Old Testament examples of the New Testament pastors. The priests are. They taught the people. The priests taught the law. So they were all, always men. Aaron's sons, not Aaron's sons and daughters, Aaron's sons were the priests. Okay, let's go to uh, Numbers. The Lord answered Moses, bring me 70 men, men, from Israel, known to you as elders, plural, and officers of the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. But he says, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 men from Israel known to you. What I'm trying to point out is, this has always been the case in the Bible. This is nothing new in the New Testament. It is always, there's a pattern of male leadership based on a principle. The Lord answered Moses, bring me 70 men from Israel, known to you as elders and officers of the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. All right. Now, let's look. We see Old Testament examples. Now, let's go to the New Testament. Luke chapter 6. This is Jesus choosing his disciples, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, choosing his disciples. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. So before Jesus chose his disciples, he spent all night praying to God. Notice that. He spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and chose 12 of them. He also named them apostles, and then he named them Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. All men. Now, let me, let me say this. This is Jesus choosing his disciples. 
if God wanted to start a new model of leadership, and he wanted to include women in that spiritually, he could have done it right here. He could have chosen six men and six women. He could have chose nine men and three women. He didn't do that. That's not because Jesus is following the pattern and the principle in the Bible. He's following the same pattern. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 1. Now, this is after the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. Judas has betrayed Jesus, hung himself. They need to choose somebody to replace Judas. Acts chapter 1, verse 21 to 26. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went out and went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us from among these. It is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So we need to choose somebody who is a witness to all that we've seen and heard. We need to choose another disciple or apostle to replace Judas. Right? Okay? Verse 23. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. So they narrowed it down to two. Two men. Verse 24. Then they prayed, just like, just like Jesus did. Before we decide, Lord, we're going to pray. We want your direction, Lord. Which one? Who do you choose? You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the, this place in the apostolic service that Judas left to go to his own place. Lord, uh, let us know who you're going to choose to replace Judas. Again, God could have said, okay, here's my time. I'm going to establish a new realm of leadership. I'm going to choose a woman. He didn't do that. This is a perfect opportunity right here. He still chose two men based on a pattern. Nothing to do with the value of women, or none of that, none of that. We see it consistently throughout Scripture. The model of male leadership within the family of God, the kingdom of God. Uh, verse 26, then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So it uh, was back to 12 after, after Judas. But the point is, they chose another man. God could have changed it right here. He could have changed it. Jesus could have changed it when he chose his disciples. He didn't. Because there's a pattern and a principle throughout Scripture. God's creation order is still in place. Even in, in 1 Corinthians, where it talks about husband and wives, um, it, says when it, it says, God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman. Remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? God is the head of Christ. Not, not because he's greater, but in function, the son submits to the father. He's equal in essence and being, but submitted in, in his role and salvation, right? So he submits to the father. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of every man, the Bible says. He says he's the head of every man. And then it says, man is the head of woman. And then it stops right there. It doesn't say woman is the head of. Not because she's not able to be. We know women who are head of ministries, but we're talking about it's the spiritual head is what we're talking about. We're not talking about business or politics. And women can head that stuff up. Yeah, they can, head, they're head, they can head, but that's not what we're talking about here. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. That's it. 
And in the family, we know how the family, in Ephesians 5, the man is the head of the house, and, and the woman submits it. All, but it's an order. And listen, I, I'm not married, but those of you who are married know how valuable your wife is. That should have got a whole lot of amens right there. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you need her. God, she's a help me. She's called call alongside to help you. And she, she points out stuff that you don't see a lot of times. She has a different function. She has a different function. We may be more logical. She's more emotional. Sometimes the wife needs to tell you, you, don't, you see, you too, you you're not emotional enough here. You don't have enough feelings here. You're too logical here. You need to have a heart, man. <laughs> Honey, you need to have some heart here. You're too hard on him. You're too hard on that boy. Have a heart. See, she balances you out. She's a gift called alongside to help you be the man that God has called you to be. Amen? And you love her the way Christ loved the church. Different functions. All right. Um, there are examples of, in our culture, in our culture, and I'm almost done, there are examples of flawed leadership. Now, one of them is the anointed leader model. There's one man who is the head of the church, and the eldership, there is no eldership. It's him and the other guys. <laughs> it's the pastor and the associate pastors or the associate ministers. Now, I'm not saying that that's a sinful model. It's just not biblical. And God uses those churches. He does. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So that's the flawed model. Because in the Bible, the eldership is always plural. We've seen that. It's always plural. It's not one man. It's not, you know, uh, it, it, even with, 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 with Peter, like I said, Peter was, was uh, a, a leader amongst the apostles, but he wasn't the other apostles' pastor. <laughs> it wasn't Peter and the, and the disciples. <laughs> It was, it was, he, was just, he, just, he just stood out. And even, uh, even amongst us, Chris is, like, like I said, is, is, the, is the lead guy. But it's not Chris and his other three guys. It's, it's the eldership of Eternal City Church. He's the lead elder. And that, when you have an eldership, it also warns you and protects you from power-seeking leaders. Men who, are, who, who want to be in power, See, because the elders, when you have a plurality, nobody has all the power. You know, if you're in a church where the guy says, I started this church, I'm not, you know, mm, power-seeking. We've seen that in our culture. We've seen it in the Bible. Power-seeking men. That's not biblical. Secondly, we see these ecclesiastical hierarchy model where you have like, you know, it's like a pyramid. You know, you have the deacon and the bishop and the Catholic Church, and you have the pope. There's just like this hierarchy, this pyramids thing. The leader, and, and, and a lot of times, the, the, some of the leaders are not even part of the local church. So that's definitely not biblical. Anytime you see leaders that are separated from the flock, that's not a biblical model. They come in and give advice, that's not a biblical model, okay? Outsiders are brought in to serve the church for a season, and then they leave. No, you don't see that in the Bible. You don't see that in the Bible. And he, a, a pastor and elder always had a flock. He wasn't out there by himself. I'm, I'm an elder, but I don't have a church. What do you mean? I'm a pastor, but I don't pastor a local church. I just pastor different congregations. That's not a biblical model. 
We don't see that in the Bible. They always had a flock. There's no different levels of leadership in that sense, where even in our culture, we've seen this. Uh, pastor, elder, and bishop are all the same office, okay? Those words are used interchangeably. But in our culture, the bishop is the guy. You know, if you become a bishop, you've surpassed the pastor in our culture in a lot of churches, especially in the black church in America. You know, but that's not biblical. The, the, the bishop is the pastor. The pastor is an elder. Same thing, same, same role, same toll, the same role. All right, there's no different levels of leadership. The elders were always part of a flock and not separate from it. Okay? The elders serve, the elders serve in a particular church. A particular church. No elders, there were no elders who didn't have a flock in the Bible. You didn't see that in the Bible. Okay, and the final model is the CEO or the board member, the board model, where you know, the, the elder, the pastor functions as a CEO or a point leader of the church and the other elders are members of the board. You know, they kind of keep him in check. You know, that's not, that's not, that's not how this works. Okay, um, that's a non-biblical model. So throughout all of scripture, all that New Testament, we see a plurality of leaders who are male. That's the model throughout all of scripture. So when the New Testament church um, in 1 Timothy talks about what a pastor is, that was nothing new. It will, it's always been the case. That has always been the case. And in the end, one final verse and I'm done. Revelation, I'm, I just want to go to chapter 21. Okay? This is the end. Revelation chapter 21, and I want to point something out here. Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. This is a vision that John had. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Arrayed with God's glory, her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone, bright as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. Did you see that? Who are they? The 12 tribes of Israel's sons, the 12 patriarchs in the Old Testament. Jacob's sons. 12 of them. Sons, not daughters. Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the Lamb's 12 apostles were on the foundations. So even in this vision that John had in the end, we still see the model. 12 and 12. 12 sons of Jacob represent the Old Testament. 12 apostles represent the New Testament come together to make the 24 elders. Elders, plural again. The function, the, the model is still there, even in the end. From Genesis to Revelation, the model of male leadership and plurality. Is, it has never changed. So when we see in the New Testament in 1 Timothy, the, uh, the qualifications for, for pastors, for elders, that's nothing new. It's always been the case. So. Don't be a lone ranger, brothers. You don't have it all. God didn't give it all to you. He never intended to. You need help doing this. I can't do this by myself. Chris can't do it by himself. Pastor Jimmy can't do it by himself. We need a plurality of leadership for the benefit of not only us, but our congregations. When they see our different giftings and functions and our accountability, that's good. So understand the pattern 
and the principle that we see throughout Scripture. This is what the New Testament church ought to look like. That's a biblical model of leadership. What we just read, all those words we just read, read a plurality of, of elders accountable to one another, led by the Holy Spirit to lead God's flock. Amen? Amen. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We bless you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you for giving us, for taking the time to write it down, giving us examples of what you intend for your people and for your flock, for your church. Thank you. We love you. We thank you for this conference and helping us to become better pastors, better men, better husbands and fathers. Thank you, Lord God, that you love us enough to correct us. You love us enough to give us direction in, our, in the role and the function that you've given us to do while we're here on this earth. We look forward to what you have to say for the rest of this conference, Lord God. Thank you again for building us up in our most holy faith through your word. And Lord, we'll give you glory, we'll give you honor, and we'll give you praise, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you.